0: are in the book of Galatians, right? That's a test. Make sure you all are paying attention, right? Uh, And we have been working through this book, and as I shared a couple of weeks ago, I'll share it again. In many ways, the, the book of Galatians is, as someone noted, the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It is the freedom document. It is the document that says we are free in Jesus Christ. Here's the question, though. What does it mean to be free in Jesus Christ? Now, we're Americans. We kind of have an idea of what freedom is, don't we? Right? We sing about freedom. We're all about freedom. We champion our freedoms. If there's anything that we as Americans know, is we know what, at least we think we know, what freedom is. And if anybody tries to trample on our freedoms they will have a very big surprise on their hands because we don't like our freedoms to be trampled on. We love freedom. We champion freedom. But here's the thing. What does it mean to be free in Christ? We say we're free in Christ. We we say things like we get to be free in Jesus Christ. Come and know Jesus and be free. But what does that freedom look like? Well, let me just share a couple of things because it sets up what I want to share with you today as we continue to move through this book. And it's this. Freedom in Christ means several different things. For instance, it means free from sin, that being the consequences of sin, not that we won't continue to sin because we do, but rather we are free from the consequences of those sins, and ultimately we are free from death because of those sins. Not only that, we are now free to live life eternally, to live life forever. Let me just say this. You and I have always been created for eternity, Every single one of us, I believe, has been created for eternity. We are meant to live for eternity. It's just a matter of where. In God's presence or not in God's presence. That's kind of where that thing is. But we are all meant to live in eternity. Freedom in Christ means we get to live for eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's a great, great future. Not only that, but to be free in Christ means also that we are free from fear. We do not have to fear God anymore. We do not have to fear death anymore. We are free from fear. We don't have to be afraid. In fact, how many times throughout Scripture does God reiterate time and time again, do not be afraid, for I am what? With you. He doesn't say, for I am against you right? That would be bad. Then I would be very much afraid. He doesn't say that. He rather says, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Psalm 23, one of the best known Psalms and perhaps one of the best known passages of scripture in all of the Bible talks about how we do not have to be afraid when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death for your rod and your staff. What comfort me? Not not careful here you know what that means? Your rod and your staff comfort me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Rods and staffs were used for two purposes. One to guide and the other to discipline, to make sure we would stay on the path. That hook at the top of a shepherd's staff wasn't just there for decorative purposes. It was used to kind of grab a sheep's neck and pull them back on the path whenever they were beginning to stray. Let me just say this, is that freedom in Jesus Christ isn't freedom to do whatever we want to do. That isn't freedom. Now, I realize that maybe as Americans, we think that's freedom. That's not freedom. We as Americans aren't free to do whatever it is that we want to do. I've seen the videos of people going into stores, believing that they don't have to wear a mask anymore, and having arguments with the management, not understanding that guess what? You're free to not have to wear a mask. You're just not free to do that here. You could go outside. You are free to not wear a mask, and you are free to shop somewhere else. Right? In other words, freedom to do anything we want isn't actually freedom. Guess what that is? Anarchy. Can you imagine if we all did whatever it is that we wanted to do Whenever we wanted to do it to whomever we wanted to do it to, that would be anarchy. That's not freedom. That's worse. That's just the exact opposite. So when we say freedom in Jesus Christ, we need to be very careful here because it's not freedom to do whatever it is that we want to do. I'm free in Christ, therefore I don't have to do or obey any of the traffic laws here in Arizona. Try telling that to a police officer and see how well that goes for you. Officer, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm free in Him. I don't have to obey this feeling. That's why I was, you know, speeding. Officer isn't going to sit there and say, Oh, you're right. You're going to pass. Go on your merry way. God bless you. No. It has no bearing whatsoever because you know what? You are misusing your freedom in Jesus to justify our own desires. That's not freedom in Christ. But here is what is also another thing that is freedom in Christ. We get to be who Jesus created us to be. And how Jesus created us to be individually is different from others. Is different from others. Hear me on this. How Jesus has created me is different than how Jesus has created you. And that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. That is a wonderful thing. And yet, it doesn't stop us from trying to mold others into our own image. This morning we're going to look at, and we have been looking at, things that rob us of our freedom. And when I mean freedom, I mean freedom in Christ. And so we have been looking at, for the past several weeks, what are those things that rob us of our freedom? Remember, we have been freed in Jesus Christ. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus gave us salvation. And now we are free And yet almost as soon as we have accepted that freedom, there are things that come in, whether externally or internally, that can rob us of our freedom. That can rob us of our freedom. And we've been looking at those things. This morning we are going to look at one more thing that rob us of our freedom. Now in your bulletin, if you took a bulletin, if you didn't, then this is news to you, which is even better. The title that I had on there was Freedom Robbers Number Four, The Law. Yeah, that's not what I'm going to call it today. I'm going to call it conformity. Or maybe a better byline for that is, I want to be different just like everyone else. Right? Because there is nothing that can also rob our freedom very quickly than trying to be conformed into another person's expectations or into another group's expectations. And do you know, as we're going to see today in today's passage, that one of the worst groups that is guilty of robbing freedom from Christians is the church. Is the church. Now, we're going to go through and see how we do this. We, as the church, can so quickly rob ourselves of God's freedom because of our need to have others be conformed in our image. This morning we're going to look at what this looked like that Paul was dealing with and how he dealt with this idea of making sure we do not conform to other people's expectations. That we do not conform to other people's expectations at all. I love this. In describing freedom in Christ, Martin Luther said this, and this is really sets what I think is just great about freedom in Christ. Either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it is lying on your back, you are lost. But if it is resting on Christ, you are free, and you will be saved. And this is the most important part. Now, choose what you want. Now choose what you want. Do you want to be free? Do you truly want to be free? Then choose Jesus. That is the beauty of the gospel message. The beauty of the gospel message. But how quickly after we embrace that freedom that we sometimes allow that freedom to be taken away from us. And one of those ways that we do that is by allowing ourselves to be conformed rather than being transformed. So this morning, let's take a look to see how Paul addresses this, and how we can not fall into that trap, and what that means for us here at Summit Ridge, because I think there are some really neat applications here, dangerous applications, even for a, for a pastor, some dangerous applications to this. Okay, now here's the thing that we can do. One is this: don't hear me on this. Conform to the expectations of others. Let me say that again. Don't conform to the expectations of others. Listen to what Paul writes. And remember, Paul just got done sharing the story of him rebuking Peter for doing exactly this. Conforming himself to the expectations of others. Because when Peter, if you remember last week when Pastor Weezy shared that all of a sudden here was Peter, you know, eating with Gentiles. And as soon as some Jewish brothers from Jerusalem came into the room, he all of a sudden got up and left them and went instead and sat with them and ate with them and spent the time with them and in some ways didn't even acknowledge the fact that he was with the Gentiles. And Paul publicly rebukes him for this. Why? Because Peter allowed himself to be conformed to the expectations of others. How many of us conform ourselves to the expectations of others? Think about that. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it's a, a boss, someone in authority that we allow ourselves to kind of conform and make sure that we live up to their expectations. The same can happen in church. The same was happening here in which Paul writes now, beginning with verse 15, and he says this, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. I'll explain what this means in just a minute. But right now, he is turning his attention to the Jews. Okay, The churches in the region of Galatia were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. He is now addressing the Jews because they are guilty of this, of this conforming. He says this in verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus... Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. Here is what Paul is saying at the beginning there when he says, We are Jews. We are Jews and not sinners. Now that's not saying that Jews are better than Gentiles. That's not what Paul is saying. That is not saying that Jews don't sin and Gentiles only sin. That is not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, guess what? You as Jews, we are born knowing the law. We are born into a system in which we have been given the law, i.e. the Ten Commandments. We know what it is that God views as right and what it is that God views as wrong. We know those differences. Gentiles don't have the law. They don't know it. They don't have it. They're automatically born already just without that knowledge. But we as Jews do have the law. We know what it is that God desires. Therefore, if we know what God desires and we know the law, we also know that the law doesn't work. The law doesn't save. The law doesn't make us right before God. The law is there, and it's there when we break it. It's there every time to show us that we cannot live up to the standards of the law. We as Jews should know this better than anyone else. We know that the law does not work. Now, hang on a second here. Stop here. Because oftentimes I think we as Christians get a little confused about this. Freedom in Christ isn't freedom from the law. Hear me on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to split hairs. I'm gonna try to hurt your hurt your brain today a little bit. I'm gonna probably venture into doublespeak. I hope I don't. You all will call me on it um, if I do, which is a good thing. Here's the thing. Yes, we are free from the consequences of the law. We are free from the effects of breaking the law. But we are not free from not following the law. We ought to follow the law. But it's for a different reason. We don't follow the law to be right with Jesus or to be right with God. We follow the law because it's obedience of following Jesus. Two very different motivations. We should still follow the law. In fact, that is a really good thing. No one gets off the hook if they murder someone and says, Well, I'm Jesus freed me from the law. doesn't make it right. No Christian is justified by breaking the law. Okay, we should still follow the law. In other words, freedom in Christ isn't freedom to do whatever we want. It's rather freedom to do what Jesus asks us and requires us to do. It's obedience. The difference is we don't follow the law to be justified. We follow the law because that's what Jesus asks us to do. It's out of obedience, not out of being made right with God. Do you understand? Am I, Are you with me still? Does that make sense? So guess what, gang? We still have to follow the law for different reasons. But what Paul is sharing here is he's saying, guess what? Do not use the law as we once did. It cannot save you. It cannot make you right before God. The law cannot do that. The law has no way, when we break it, of bringing us reconciliation or salvation. There is no way. The law cannot do that. The law is the law. It's either you break it or you didn't. It's either right or it's wrong. That's it. That's what the law is good for in this case. Guess what? The only time usually that the law shows up is when we break the law. That's what happens. If you don't break the law, you're fine. But here's the thing is Paul says, guess what? Don't conform to the expectations of others. So here's what was going on here. He goes on and says this, But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, what Paul is writing about a concern that maybe some of them were thinking is, if Christ came to free me from the penalty of the law... But then also I still break the law because I'm still a sinner. Isn't Christ then the one who leads me into now breaking the law and being a sinner? And Paul says, absolutely not. Because Jesus fulfilled everything. He did everything. The reason why we can follow Jesus is because Jesus fulfilled the law that we couldn't do. He's the one that we put our faith in. He's the one that covers us. And then Paul says this. And I love this. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, the Jewish people, they loved the law, they understood the law. They 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 were told from very early on that if you want to please God, you have to obey the law, you have to fulfill the law, understanding that though they could not do it, but now they come to know Jesus and they still have this desire to say, oh, "But I want the law. I want that clarity." It's a lot harder to live in faith in Jesus Christ than it is to live in the clarity of do this and don't do that. Living in Jesus is a lot harder. A lot harder. And so all of a sudden now, here were these Judaizers that said, you know what, the law still has value. And you know what, part of that is that, you know what, because I had to be circumcised, because I had to follow the law, now I expect anybody who comes to know Jesus, they too ought to follow the law by also being circumcised, by also becoming Jews first. Because if it was good enough for me, it's good enough for them. How many of us think about this? Think about the time when you came to know Jesus. How did you come to know Jesus? Did you pray a sinner's prayer? Did you pray a sinner's prayer? Do you know where you were when you accepted Jesus Christ? How many of you know exactly the moment when you accepted Jesus? Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. A beautiful story. Right, And in fact, in evangelical faith, of what we are as Summit Ridge, an evangelical church, one of the marks of evangelicalism is that we believe in marking down the day when you accepted Jesus Christ. Praying that sinner's prayer. In other words, we believe that there was a physical birth and then there was a spiritual birth. And oftentimes those are two separate days or dates. And we love it, so we have these conversations as though we assume that everyone has a spiritual birth. So tell me, when did you accept Jesus? When, where were you? What was the day that you accepted Jesus Christ into your life? Did you pray that sinner's prayer, right? As though the sinner's prayer is in Scripture. It's not. It's not. The sinner's prayer is not there. But you, you know, and, and if someone doesn't give us that, we're like, oh, are you really saved? Are you really saved? I tell you what, let's, let's get this settled right now. Let's pray the prayer. Let's put that line in the sand, that flag on the, on the mound there, and let's get you saved so you can look back and know the exact date and time and where you were when you were saved. Does that sound comforting to you? Amen! How many of you don't remember when you were saved? You just believed. Sinners. Ha! <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Do do you understand what I'm talking about here? Here were these Judaizers, and they wanted to put a marker in the sand. They wanted to draw the line and say, you know, guess what? This is how you come to know Jesus, because this is how I came to know Jesus. And if I came to know Jesus this way, then you ought to come to know Jesus this way, and then we know that we know Jesus. And it's wonderful. And it's beautiful. And there's clarity, because I know you're with me, and you know that I am with you. There is no confusion. We're all one big, happy family. We all came to know Jesus in the same way. Praise Jesus. That's not the way He works. We love predictability, don't we? We love to know that if I came to know Jesus this way, then everyone should come to know Jesus in that way. There are people here who know exactly when they came to know Jesus. Let me just tell you a little bit of my faith story. Because I I, I grew up uh in a Methodist church, and yes I found Jesus in the Methodist church. Or rather, Jesus found me. It's possible. <laughs> Baptists don't have it all. Okay? They got a lot of good stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love my Baptist brothers and sisters. Um I, I was baptized. And I remember the day I was in fifth grade and I wanted to follow Jesus. I didn't pray a prayer. The pastor came over to my house to meet with me. I was baptized on Christmas Eve and the service on a sprinkling. I knew I wanted to follow Jesus. I knew. And in fact, I was with my aunt this past week in Sedona. She came down to ride the mules down into the canyon. Wow. What an adventure that is. I hope when I'm her age, I could do the same thing. But I'd rather just hike it. Um, Anyways. Um, and to this day And her friend was with her And two of her friends But one of them Has been a lifelong friend I, you know They, they just babysat me a lot And all that kind of stuff And they, they still tell this story That God just seemed to have me marked At a very early age And they were telling me it again This time, this past week Four or five years old In the car driving somewhere Back then you didn't have seat belts And you sat in the center seat In the front, right? Those were the real living days Right there That was freedom right there Freedom <laughs> right there. You didn't have to be restrained by seatbelts. You took your life in your own hands. But remember, cars were built differently back then. They were built like tanks, right? I mean, you think about the cars today. A Prius wouldn't stand a chance against a Lincoln. At all. I mean, come on. So here's the thing. They're telling this story and we're driving and I'm looking up apparently. I don't remember the story. I was too young. I was four or something like that. And I, I was looking up at the bright blue skies, and I said, where is God? God has to be up there. Where is he? And my aunt and her friend looked at each other and said, what the heck is this kid about? <laughs> you know? Fifth grade. I, uh, I just said, I just knew I needed, I wanted to follow Jesus. And I just, I just wanted to follow him. And so I was. I said, you know, there was no prayer that was prayed, and the, the pastor came over and helped me to understand what that meant and all that kind of stuff, and I said yes, and I was baptized on Christmas Eve service in front of everybody at that Christmas Eve service. I'll never forget it. I had a Southern Baptist youth pastor come in after that. Oh, Dan, we got to get you saved, brother. Did you pray the prayer? Oh, I didn't pray a prayer. Oh, we're going to pray the prayer right now. So eighth grade, I prayed the prayer. I don't have one spiritual birthday. I have two. I get no gifts on those. <laughs> None. But you know what I'm saying? It's like I, feel, I felt guilty. Oh, I really need to pray this prayer because I didn't pray the prayer. If I didn't pray the prayer... You know what I did after that? I would. I was so nervous I hadn't accepted Jesus. Every night, it seemed like I would accept Jesus. Jesus, just in case, I just want to make sure I love you, I want to follow you. Please come into my life and lead me. Please, 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 just to make sure that I pray the right prayer. You, you, you all, you all know what I'm talking about here. Have you ever been on? Yeah, amen. I got some amens, right? Oh, how to live in that uncertainty because I was not conforming myself to someone's expectations. Someone else had placed in me the seed of doubt that I really didn't, ex- didn't didn't accept Jesus. And I love my youth pastor. He's incredibly influential. He was the person that set me on the path where I am today. Truly. Truly. But it is so hard because I didn't conform that I wanted to conform because I loved my youth pastor and I loved him and I respected him and I still do to this day. In fact, uh, just a little FYI, during Easter, this past Easter when I'm up here preaching, I get a text and I have a smartwatch as you all know, because I'm a techie kind of guy. And all of a sudden I realized I look over there and you probably didn't even notice I looked at my watch because I could be subtle that way maybe not (laughs) and he said Dan happy Easter it was my youth pastor you know my former youth pastor he's in Georgia now you know um he was from he was from the south I mean Louisiana spoke Cajun all this kind of stuff he was a good I mean Southern Baptist all the way that's where they make them (laughs) so here's the thing is it's, I felt guilty because I didn't conform. Listen, what Paul understood is that there was a whole slew of Gentiles who were going to be made feel to, make, to, be, to be made feel guilty about not the fact that they had not been circumcised or become Jewish first before they become a Christ follower. And Paul was going to have none of that. And in fact, he turns it back onto them, onto the Jewish people, and said, "Really, really, you want to make these Gentiles become Jews?" When you know as Jews, you know the law, you know the purpose of the law, you know the fact that you and I can't fulfill the law, and yet you want to make these Gentiles follow the same path, carry the same burdens that you carried now that you are freed in Christ because of the fact that because you had to go through it, they should go through it, or because you're not certain whether or not they are truly followers of Jesus, and so in order for them to be truly followers of Jesus, they ought to be just like you and become Jews first? No. Let me tell you, for those of you who didn't pray the sinner's prayer but are believers, God bless you, brothers and sisters. I don't know how it is you came to know Jesus. I'd love to hear your stories. You may not have prayed the sinner's prayer. That's fine. But you love Him and you want to follow Him. And you are just as much as part of the family of God as much as anyone else who prayed the sinner's prayer. Amen? Rest In that don't conform it doesn't stop us though we even go further in churches don't we we say things like oh we love it churches love conformity here's how oh we like to dress the same you ever spot someone who is out of place at a church they come in and they're not dressed the way the other people are dressed have you ever gone to a church and you knew you were out of place because you didn't dress the way that they dressed you realize that maybe you're going to a church in which they were in coat and ties, the ladies were in dresses, nothing wrong with that. I think that's a wonderful thing. I emphasize the high note. <laughs> but here's the thing. It doesn't matter. But you felt out of place. And, and, and you know how you're not speaking the same language that some of those Christians are speaking. Right? They're using words that you've never heard of before. If you're in a Pentecostal church, man, I've been sanctified, I've been justified, and now I, and they're speaking in tongues, and wonderful thing, I don't have a problem with that. But we love conformity. We love it. In fact, there are some that believe if you don't speak in tongues, you're truly not a believer. Seriously? The early church dealt with this, and we're still dealing with it. Why? Because we love conformity. We love to hang around people who look, at Talk just like us and it's wonderful we have comfort in that it's reassuring in a world that is hostile in a world that maybe there are wolves and sheep's clothing or whatever else coming in guess what that's not the gospel period that's not freedom let me just say this to all of you right here right now all of you are freaks and so am I. Let your freak flag fly. Some of you are into some wonderful things that I would never want to be into. Some of you love to go and play games and have gaming parties. I think that's wonderful. I'm not a gamer. I just am not. I tried it. I really did. I grew up with Atari in the Pong. Think think. dink. I grew up with lawnmower. You do remember what lawnmower is? For any of you, I'm in fourth grade. I had a computer. Our, our class got a computer for the very first time and it was a green screen and you just move the cursor across and that was lawnmower. That was the lawnmower game. It's wonderful for those of you who are in gaming. Let your freak flags fly. There are some of you who are into superheroes. Now that I can relate to. I love that stuff. I love Delving into all sorts of... You know, I love that stuff. There are some of you who are into whatever it is. Great! Great! Let your freak flags fly. God has created you so unique. Don't conform to other people's expectations. This is how a Christian should act. This is how a Christian should be. You know what the amazing thing about this is? is that in churches, we love that bounded set. We love people who dress the same, who read from the same translation of the Bible, who talk the same, all of that stuff. We love that. But here's the thing. People, listen to me, brothers and sisters, we could do all those things, and our hearts could be so far from Jesus Christ, we wouldn't even know it, because we believe falsely that as long as we are doing these things, we're good. It's not true. You could have a person who comes in here doesn't know a lick about eschatology, ecclesiology, pneumatology, whatever ology you want to put in there. But they love Jesus. And they barely, they may have a, not a translation, but a paraphrase, if even that. They may not know how to find every book in the Bible, but you know what? Their hearts are probably closer to Jesus than others who are bounded by some sort of look, language, Or belief. Following Jesus is a lot harder than following the law because there's freedom. There's freedom. Don't conform yourself to other people's expectations ever when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul didn't let that happen to him. He wasn't going to let it happen to Peter and he certainly wasn't going to let it happen to those Gentiles who were coming to know Jesus Christ at all. Don't conform yourself to other people's expectations. Amen? Yeah. Now, here's the second one. Don't conform yourself, but here's the other thing. Secondly is this. Rather, be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul ends this section by saying this in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Let me say that again. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. He had to die to what he understood the purpose of the law to be. He had to die to that, so that he could live in Jesus. And he goes on, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Needlessly. some of the best, well-known passages in the New Testament were just read to you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, but He who lives in me. Transformed in Jesus' image. Right now, you and I are being transformed into His image. Here's the thing as Christians that we sometimes forget, but we oftentimes have expectations of is that when a person receives salvation, we also expect that we see the results of that salvation immediately. You understand what I'm saying? That when a person receives Jesus Christ, chooses to follow Jesus Christ, we expect them immediately to now be Jesus. To be just like Him. So whatever they were dealing with in their past, whether it was addictions or... Uh, opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, or whatever else that they had in their past. We expect them at that moment to be freed. Maybe because we were doubtful, really doubtful. And if you ever want to just find that out, ask those around you. They'll tell you the truth, hopefully. Okay? But sometimes we have these expectations while well, you're a follower of Jesus. You ought to be just like Him right now. Right now. I want to see you out there walking on water. I want to see you out there healing people. I want to see you out there no longer swearing. I want to see you out there being so patient. I want to see you out there turning the other cheek. I want to see you out there... And goes on and on and on and on and on. Never mind the expectations of what the world has on Christians. It's the expectations that Christians have on other Christians that can really rob us of our freedom. We have to stop and remember that we are all works in progress. We are being transformed. We have not completed that transformation yet. Jesus is working on you and me. He is working on us to form us into His image. That's transformation, a complete change. That when someone looks at us, they see Jesus. And it may not be all the time. It's a work in progress, a work in progress. And in fact, I love that passage in Philippians, that he who what? Began a good work in you will what? See it to completion. We are a work in progress. We ought to have on our tombstones, if we even have tombstones. I don't know if they'll be around. Who knows? There'll just be some digital screen by that point. And they could change the message every time. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? An app. Someone, someone market that. But give me credit. Okay, an app in which you can put a message on a tombstone, you know, some sort of screen that comes across and says, work finished, work completed, done. It is finished. I'm now whole. We are being transformed. I love how Jesus, how Paul writes this. I am being crucified. Jesus said this, take up your cross, what? What? daily and follow me every day i gotta wake up and i gotta carry my cross oh yeah dan (sighs) anger crucify that thing oh yeah dan impatience yeah put it up on that oh yeah crucify that thing every day but it's hopefully getting better and better and better and better but we are all a work in progress no one has arrived no one has it all together. No one. And any Christian who claims that, they're lying. They may not know it, but they are. Because it's not true. It's absolutely not true. That's freedom. That's freedom. Not to conform yourself to another person or other people's expectations but rather to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's freedom. What does that mean for us as a church? Here's what this means for us as a church. Here at Summit Ridge, and we will work against this as much as we can, be yourself. Be yourself. Jesus has uniquely gifted you. He has uniquely created you. And you need to be yourself. Do not live up to my expectations or another person's expectations. Rather, let Jesus continue to transform you into the person, into the disciple He wants you to be. It's a beautiful thing, the diversity of the body of Christ. Don't let anybody rob you of that because they want you to be just like them. Ever ever be like Jesus. It's a much better option. And by the way, you will be a much better person for it. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, man, I am just so grateful for that freedom. Unbelievable freedom that you have given us. And Jesus, how much we can dilute or allow things to come in and rob us of that freedom, Jesus. Oh, Maybe right now, Jesus, we are dealing with expectations that others have of us. And we love these people. We respect these people. We want to honor these people. And yet maybe they have these expectations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's robbing us. It's draining us. It is just sucking the life out of us, Jesus. I pray, please free us from those expectations. Give us courage. I love, Jesus, how one person just was remarking about that and that the opposite of courage is not cowardice, but it is conformity and how even a dead fish can go with the flow. Jesus, we're not dead. We're alive. We're alive. Jesus, help us continue.